Thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Looking Glass Darkly with David Skiro. I will be your host on this journey, and my guest today is from the House of Artemis. Natalie, a friend of mine from years back here in Los Angeles, has since moved to the Pacific Northwest, and we listen over the course of this podcast, we explore how she came to be fascinated with plant medicine and working with the earth and Natalie, who considers herself both a uh, a brujad and also a vegan is someone who's very intrinsically connected with uh what's best for the for the environment um how to have a relationship with the environment around you how to have a relationship with mother earth and nature and incorporating those gifts into your ritualistic practice into your daily life and we talk about a number of things including the sort of the the need to move away from a place like Los Angeles a large city to a more rural environment the need and the desire to be more connected with the nature around you um and also ways that we can you know choose plant-based diets choose plant-based medicine more holistic forms of therapy and medicinal help rather than rely strictly and solely on sort of technology and i found her perspectives very refreshing and very aligned with me and some of the way i've been feeling lately and so i think that you all will enjoy this quite a bit um it's a perfect way to sort of as we're as you know we're in the harvest season as it were uh, it's great to sort of think about the different ways that the gifts of the earth can be used in our daily lives and and i really enjoyed it and it really inspired me to be more conscientious about what i consume and how i consume and, and how sustainable the things that i consume are i i think you all will enjoy it as much as i did i want to thank natalie for her time she's such a wonderful guest i really enjoyed talking with her and so without further ado my guest from the house of artemis natalie so it's funny that you mentioned the crow's Cawing because um, so when I moved to Glendale, I didn't realize how much wildlife that Los Angeles has. And since we moved out here, uh, we've had a skunk living under a house. We've had raccoons. We've had possums. We've had we have peafowl that hang out in our neighborhood. So female uh, pea hen. Um, and and this morning we had a murder of crows in our front yard just hanging out like signaling in the change of the season i guess so it's funny that you mentioned that because they were just hanging out this morning we were trying to like throw bird seed at them to get them to come closer (laughs) to us yeah it was it was so quiet until i put my headphones on and they just started going crazy i think they've quieted down now but they're a welcome addition if <laughs> if they want to be in the background singing. We're totally okay with that here. How are you? It's been ages since I've seen you, since like the Cloak and Dagger days of, of yesteryear. I'm good. Yeah, I know. It's uh, I think the last time I might have seen you, maybe it was in 2019. Yeah. And I moved to Portland since then. Um, well, just it's outside in beautiful Lake Oswego. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I definitely wanted more nature in my life and more peace and surrounded with forest and water and crows. That sounds amazing. I feel like it is a common theme. In fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine and, um, you know, we were just talking about Los Angeles and my, my friend is from the LA area and 
you know, he was saying like a lot of people don't really like it, Los Angeles that live here. Um, people get drawn to this place for a number of reasons. Um, like for me, it's film work, right? That's kind of where I base my hub off of. But a lot of people, once they get here, actually really don't like it and just are clamoring to get back to sort of that like, you know, return to nature. I think cottage core is sort of like the vernacular that's been assigned to this feeling of wanting to return to nature. Did you feel that? I mean, I mean, you mentioned that you, you want to be near, but like, were you feeling like this is a concrete jungle and I'm tired of it and I got to get back to nature and, and a place that you feel more, um, more satisfied on a, on an existential level? Yes. I, I mean, I moved to LA when I was 20 so mm-hmm. and spent the majority of my 20s there. So it was quite an interesting time to discover myself in Hollywood and also in the film industry and, mm-hmm. and doing interactive horror and haunts and all this other interesting, weird stuff. And I at the same time was going to school for alternative medicine Mm. and, and learning about my own personal practice and developing my craft. And the more I leaned into that, the more I was feeling the call for deeper connection with nature. And so I moved a little closer to nature, like Mm -hmm. pretty close to Griffith park, like Glendale Burbank area um, in a neighborhood instead of like, more city I guess yeah which was nice but it still wasn't I was still missing like the deep evergreen trees and the lakes and the and the um Pacific Northwest that I grew up in and I was just finding myself becoming more sensitive to just to my environment and going out and the people that I was hanging out with just wasn't resonating with me anymore. Yeah. So when I would go visit my family in Washington, I had this feeling of like, I didn't want to leave and that that was more home and that LA was kind of like my secondary and the, the Pacific Northwest was my primary home. So I was like, you know what? I could just live in the Mm -hmm. forest and then also visit LA. And I feel like that has been really good because I visit LA a lot. Actually, I'm going back to LA next week. (laughs) Oh, nice. Nice. So when when did you make the move? When did you decide like, okay, I'm going to go back and just visit LA when when the mood suits me? Mm -hmm. I officially moved November of 2019 and I settled down here in like Oswego, January 2020. Mm-hmm. So right when I was settling down was when the pandemic started. <laughs> I was going to ask because I felt like there was a, you know, when, when a lot of 2019, I wasn't, um, I was very busy with film. I think I had like three, three or four film projects that year. And then going into 2020, um, I was in Georgia when the pandemic hit and, uh, and then Atlanta. And so it's very surreal for me because this this big event occurs and no one really kind of knows what's going on. And I'm in another state. I eventually get home. I'm sitting around for three months. I go back to Georgia to finish filming. And um, and then the world kept on spinning. But I do really feel like for me, and maybe it's just because I wasn't here when it happened. And, and so much of 2019 was so busy for me that I, I feel like um, Los Angeles – 
is very different pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And I'm sure that's the case for a lot of places. Some businesses closed or what have you. But there's just – um, I don't know how to describe it. And I don't know. You, you got out like right before, but you visited. So I don't know if you feel it. But there's just – there seems to be a shift from what was before and what's been after. And it's a disconnection for me that I haven't quite come to terms with yet. That's interesting. Yeah, I visited LA February 2020. And I had a plans to come out a couple times after that, but those got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the most recent time that I was able to go back out there uh, was kind of a sporadic, <laughs> spontaneous trip. It was only, I think, two or three days. And mm-hmm. that was in May okay. this past year. Mm-hmm. And I just saw like some of my core people and it it felt good because mm-hmm. I was going back to like the people that I knew and did the thing since I only had a couple days, I did the things I know I wanted to do. So I wasn't like going out, but um, I didn't feel like the big shift, I guess, because I wasn't there long enough, but I'm going to be there for a week next week. Um, so, and of course going out and seeing people and going to concert and like not scary farm. So I'm going to be doing things. So I'll be able to see maybe what you are talking about. (laughs) Yeah. I'd be really curious. I mean, I will say this, Los Angeles is fantastic during Halloween season. It's the best. It's the best place on earth that I've been to at least. Um, all the places you listed, Disney, Universal Studios, Mm -hmm. Horror Nights. I mean, it's, it's the greatest. Um, I but I would be curious to see if it feels like what home was for you before you decided to go back to Northwest. Um, and I think you know part of my disconnection is that Cloak and Dagger closed down because I think a lot of my social activity was kind of centered around that. And when that went away, which was during the pandemic, um, that it just felt like a chapter closed on one whole section of my life. So very fascinating. So I'm, I'd be curious to see once you get back into it, what you're kind of in your old haunts, if you sense any of that changes that I've kind of seen since being here through this all. Yeah. I'll let you know. Um, I am start- a little preview. I'm starting something here in Portland, very similar to Cloak and Dagger. Really? That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have a group already. Um, going and a venue already. So I'm really excited. Um, so I'll let you know. How awesome. That out. Yeah. Let me know. I'll drive up there. I'll, I've been wanting to visit the Pacific Northwest. I have, I've never been, I, I have friends who live up there. I have people who have been there at different points in their life and everything I see of it just seems so, I mean, it seems magical to be honest with you. It seems like an enchantment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, the, in periods of our life where we feel more and more disconnected from the fruits of our labor, from society, um, our disconnection from nature, it, it's inevitable that there will be a counterculture movement to sort of return to that. Um, I, I was reading this book called A Culture, which highlights various moments in which um, sort of counterculture and the occult, you know, TM sort of intersected. And and right after World War One, there was this sort of return to nature movement in Germany. Um, I'll butcher the name if I try to say it, but there's a German word that essentially means get back to nature. And, um, you know, nature hikes and uh, nudism and um, 
you know, various other sort of progressive sort of what we call now hippie. And, and in fact, it, it influenced a lot of what became the United States hippie movement kind of starts in Germany during this time period. Now, the sad part of it is, is that there was a political party right on the heels of that, that co-opted much of that sentiment and twisted it for its own usage. Um, but we've seen in, in, in history that in times of huge industrial upswing, there's that sort of counterculture of needing to return to nature in our current, our current times when we're just like bombarded by technology and the metaverse and social media and a digital lifestyle. Have you noticed that there are other people and maybe there are people who live near you now who who kind of made that pilgrimage to get away from that bombardment of technology and 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 concrete? Yes, it's so funny you say that because right after I moved, I had let's see, one, two, two really close friends from LA, no, three close friends from LA moved to Portland and then one of those friends, he's in. We started in a, our own occult book magical working group. We don't nice. have a really good name for it yet, but <laughs> and the other two people in our group are also from LA. So a lot of people from LA, people like peers of mine, and it's similar in our age too, um, moved to the Pacific Northwest because of the same reason. So just like kind of overall the. Uh, overstimulation and wanting to get back to nature, loving hiking, um, wanting to grow a, your own garden. And during 2020, so many people were like learning how to bake bread and learning mm -hmm. how to grow their own herbs and learning how to ferment things. And I think it's wonderful because it's it's natural for us to want to lean back to nature during crisis times. And mm -hmm. that's because nature always has your back. So when you're leaning into a government to support you, that's not very secure. Um, but when you lean into nature to support you, that is secure because you work with the seasons. The seasons are always the seasons. You know, you work with the soil and the trees and they work with you back. So it is like a a system that will always support you if you support it and are the way the world is right now with government and political systems and how society is, isn't very give and take. It's more. It's all uh, take. It's all take. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. Or we just have to rely on them and be like, okay, we trust you. And then things happen like the pandemic. And then we're like, oh, how are we going to pay our bills? We can't work. Oh, working isn't working for us anymore, literally. And finding other ways to support yourself. Yeah. And, it, and that's the, you know, you always try to look for the silver linings when big tragedies like the pandemic occur. And I think you're right. I think, you know, I forget the exact period of time. I want to say it's two weeks, but there's the old adage that you can break a habit in like, I think it's two weeks or a month or something to that effect. Um, if you just sort of change your behaviors, that eventually you'll grow out of whatever habit you've become accustomed to. For a lot of us, we were sitting at home for three months. And um, not able to go outside, not able to go to our jobs, or or at least going to our jobs in a, in a different way. Uh, and so you're right, like the baking of bread, the banana bread, like <laughs> our gardens, just something to do with your time, hopefully not on the internet solely, but something 
that is substantial. Like just for me, I think I think where I live now sounds like pretty close to where you lived. And um, you know, we have a pretty big front yard. And just the simple things of like when I take my dog out and and I'm barefoot. And we're walking through the front yard just to act. I mean, I hear it said on the internet way too much, like this idea of touching grass, but there is a real grounding value to legitimately putting your feet into the earth and feeling it around you, even if it's just a return to an, an older memory of times gone by when you were a child. There is something that just feels very secure when you allow yourself to appreciate and enjoy it. Yeah, earthing. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's it, which is a common um, thing I, quote unquote, prescribe <laughs> to my clients to do. <laughs> well, so what is is that? Where did your interest, I guess, in sort of a return to nature um, from a clinical perspective, from a sort of a, a, a pharmaceutical or I don't know how you would describe it, um, but what what interested you into going to school to study like plant medicine and that involvement with it? Oh, well, probably when I was 18 or 19 and I left home, um, I had, I'd been vegan for about a year or two and seeking and through that I, and making sure I was like getting the nutrients that I needed. I started really leaning into nutrition. And then by leaning into nutrition, I learned how you can use plant foods to prevent so many different things like health ailments and mm -hmm. um, diseases. So when I left home, I sought out a naturopath. And this naturopath taught me how to work with the moon, like to regulate my cycle and to uh, take certain homeopathic uh, medicines for certain things. And it was so fascinating because I would do, like I would take what she would recommend me, but it would not work unless mm. I took it on the full moon. <laughs> and I didn't, I just, I just thought it was some crazy, like uh, new age thing, but, right. but then it, nothing would work. So then when I finally started taking the plant medicine regimen on starting on the full moon cycle like she recommended and everything like I was healing finally I was completely converted I was like this is incredible like the moon is real like the moon um right. how it affects us is real plants work and I didn't have to like go on these prescription drugs or um like harsh steroid things mm -hmm. and so from then on I started um, just researching on my own. And once I left my acting school and moved to LA, I was trying to figure out what I was really passionate about that I could see myself finishing a degree in. And that's why I chose alternative medicine because it had now then become such a part of my life. And it was something I was really already researching and being fascinated in, mm -hmm. like, might as well do it and then get a degree for it if I'm going to be researching it. Right. Um, and that was a really great decision that I made because when I finished that first degree, I realized how passionate I was about herbal medicine. And so I found my 
my witch mentor <laughs> through a potion making class in LA and mm. everyone in the class, including the teacher, encouraged me to take a nine month plant spirit medicine course that she was mm. running. And that was the <clears throat> course that really got me into plant spirit medicine and the right. way that plant medicine can help you not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally on an energetic level um, that can really help you transform as a person, just like help you evolve past blockages and things that like regular doctors don't really help people with. Right. But plant spirit medicine can cross those physical boundaries and actually help heal um, things in your body that aren't physical, that may have caused physical things, um, you know, like, uh, like traumas and um, like blockages that you may not speak up for yourself or self-worth, relationship stuff, um, attachment issues. So it, they literally can, they're like these little magical potions that earth gives us that can help us be more self-actualized and self-realized. You know, it's, that's amazing. And, you know, you brought up like the new age movement and um, I think all return to earth movements have value. I think that one of the things that have unfortunately happened sort of with the new age movement was that it became very commercialized. And it kind of became the thing that like upper middle class yoga moms got into. And then in that process, it sort of became discredited. But but what you're talking about are things that pre-exist modern medicine for hundreds of years. There, there was an entire way of living and sustaining oneself and curing oneself um, that predates what we consider to be quote unquote modern medicine. And much of what is considered modern medicine is just many of those same plants you know, process and synthesize and like, like everything else that exists in our culture is produced for mass, mass production um, rather than uh, more of a one-on-one -on -one sort of uh, shaman uh, person coming to them sort of experience. But it doesn't, it doesn't take away the value that they have. There's a reason why those were used for so long. There's a reason why we connect with them. And something that you're saying just sort of sparked an idea in my head that we approach medicine so weird in uh, Western culture, which is that like, if you go to a doctor, like I had a neck injury. And um, so I've been rehabbing that over the last few weeks. And, you know, when you go to a doctor, they'll give you an x-ray and your MRI and they give you something for the pain and what have you. But there's very little beyond that. There's very little like, what is your lifestyle? Well, I used to work out a whole lot. I got really sedentary during the pandemic. I'm a little older, I'm past 40. So those those experiences in my life where I've been a bit rough with my body are catching up with me. You know, um, posture, simple thing. People don't even think about posture and it, it can have such a profound effect of you. So when we and, – and you mentioned nutrition. Like most doctors get like two weeks of nutritional training and that's it and they're done. And it's like we 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 look when our current medical system is set up in such a way to address the immediate problem as far as it can be observed, but does very little to address the other components in one's life, um, either currently or in the past that are contributing 
to this pain, to this this physical issue that is manifesting. And it sounds like what you're talking about is sort of getting back to a time period when you're seeing someone who addresses the whole of you, not just the physical element. Right. Yeah. I. So I'm getting my master's currently in integrative healthcare sciences because I am so aware of the holes and the gaps that are in our Western medical system. There is a definite time and place for Western medicine for sure. Um, but like you said, they're not, they can only work within a toolbox that they were given and taught. And it's not a very big toolbox. And these ancient medical practices like Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, um, and other indigenous shaman cultures have used plants and um, holistic practices, spirituality, nutrition for thousands of years. And it works. And there's a reason why it works. And so why I am pursuing what I'm pursuing is to help fill in the gaps. And I've noticed more people today are seeking alternative therapies than they have before because people are waking up. People are waking up to this medical system that also doesn't listen to women, um, writes them off or, or just treats the symptom and not the root cause of why they're having the symptom in the first place. And so this preventative, like long-term overall health and wellness is leans on to these alternative medicine practitioners and the folk herbalists and your grandmothers, you know, the, the ones who have been working with the earth and understand the body because our bodies are a reflection of nature as well. So might as well use nature to also help heal our bodies. Absolutely. And, you know, I was recently out of the country. I was in Australia, which is very westernized in the same way that America is. But it, I, it is every time I go overseas, I'm always impressed upon the fact that other cultures seem so much less stressed than we are in America. Even Western cultures like Australia, which, again, not very different, you know, to the, to the naked eye. How much of what we put in our bodies um, physically, we'll start with contributes do you think to like that overwhelming sort of stressful tightly wound really constricted personas that we adopt every single day as we start our day oh ah gosh (laughs) (laughs) i may not know the exact percentage but for my observations at least 80 percent for sure because you are what you eat you know the classic saying so we are literally synthesizing food into energy. So if we are eating things that are dead, are highly processed, are um, like really heavy foods, we are also going to feel like not authentic. We're not, we're Mm going to feel heavy. We're going to feel dead, you know? So (laughs) if we're eating foods that are vibrant and whole, and juicy and filled with color, you're going to feel vibrant and juicy and colorful and all those other amazing feelings because of um, like plant foods have phytonutrients, which have amazing antioxidants. Antioxidants literally can reverse aging. It's it's magic. It's alchemy. It's all of that just happening within your body. So that's why it's so important to go back to 
real food. And that's exciting that people were starting to do that during the pandemic, like growing their own food and instead of buying processed bread, like making it at home, like that's wonderful. It's, it's hard because of the society, like how we've grown up and how we've mm. been taught, it hasn't been very whole and holistic. So it, there, there's a lot of unlearning. So there's, there should be no shame in anyone who is eating the way that they're eating. It's not their fault. It's the way society is and how they were raised. But we do have a responsibility when we're adults to right. wake up and start choosing differently and start learning and educating yourself on what is good for you and what's good for the planet and what's also good for your soul. So it is a very self uh it's, a, it's an autonomous process of learning mm -hmm. how to be autonomous again and listening to your intuition and what your body needs instead of listening to an external source. Well, I, I love that you use alchemy and you use alchemy on your website as well because it is a transformation. When, when you're planting your own plants um, and certainly you're harvesting your own food, and of course, everyone has different capacities. If you're living in an apartment, you're probably not going to be growing all your food, but you might be able to grow some herbs or some jalapenos or something. But even in that process, um, the idea of working under the sun, you're getting energy from the sun, right? You're drawing that into yourself, whether you're consciously, hopefully, or unconsciously, you're drawing energy in. You're exerting energy into the earth. That means you're taking that energy from above and you're literally putting in the earth below where you're now putting in the seeds or what have you, the plant. Then the plant uses that energy and it grows up. And then you take that and you're putting that back into you. And you could charge it and at, at every step of the phase. I was just listening to a, a friend of mine who was telling a story of someone who, when he does um, a spagyric, he literally like, it takes him months because he'll like plant roses or whatever plant he's working with. He'll put energy into it as he's growing it, um, as he's watering it, as it blooms, then he picks it, then he grinds. Like every step of the process is uh, a charging it with energy and then it goes back into you or it goes on your doorstep or what have you. And you're just, you feel supercharged because you're just putting so much of the energy that's all around us in a conscious manner into the things that we're consuming. And even if you're just like, if you're one of those people who's listening, you're like, dude, energy, I don't get it. Uh, well, if you're one of those people, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but if you, by some chance, fine, ignore that for a moment. Just the feeling of satisfaction of accomplishing something on your own, taking nothing and creating something is always fulfilling. No matter what your craft is or what kind of artisan you are, the creation of something is, in my opinion, as much a part of our humanity as breathing, sleeping, and eating is. And so I do think that there is a lot of value on whatever level that you can do it to find that time to play in the dirt, as I like to say, and kind of return to that nature and create something for yourself that you didn't just hand someone this arbitrary piece of paper that represents a certain amount of currency. And you got this thing that was in a factory that's, you know, like it's so cold and detached and there's no meaning behind it. And there's no understanding of the effort that goes behind it. And so there's no appreciation for the things that sit in front of us on our plate because it's so we live in a convenience kind of world 
that we've lost value. Yeah, the creating is so important because we are all creative beings. Even if you don't think you're creative, you are. Uh, we because we are a reflection of the creative universe. So in creating our food, you're literally, that, that is a type of alchemy that you're crafting and transforming into something delicious and nutritious and wholesome for yourself. And I, the process of spagyrics have always fascinated me. And I hope one day, because I'm also in an apartment still, <laughs> to have a garden where I can plant through you know, the signs and the moon phases and harvest according to the seasons, the moon phases and the astrology to make such a powerful, potent medicine, uh, like a spagyric. But at this time, my alchemy that I love to do is flower essences, mm, nice. which is still working with the sun because you have to, and it's still working with the plant, even though I'm not planting it, I'm going out and looking for the plant that wants to connect to me, the flower that wants to connect with me. And when, when I commune with that plant, with that flower, I sit with it and I ask it questions and I ask what it's good for, like for your emotions and spiritually. And then I ask if I can collect its essence. And this has to be done on either a sunny day or if it's a night blooming flower when it's a full moon. So you let it sit and you let it collect in like spring water, ideally for four hours or so, or whenever you feel like the essence has infused into the water. And then that's what I use to make my flower essences. Hmm. And I also use other, um, small businesses who create flower essences as well in my, in my, um, blends. If I can't, make them all myself. But flower essences are kind of like a alchemy in their own manner because of the sun and collecting it during a specific moon cycle and um, communing with it and making sure it's under the right conditions. And then once you internally take it, then it, the same alchemical process happens within your body. And I think like some, uh, Spagyrics also contain essences as well. Mm. Well, and and you're you're being mindful of what you're doing, which I think is harder for all of us to do because again, it's we live in a, a convenience first society, and we oftentimes are just so disconnected from the farm to our plate. We have no, especially if you're eat, a meat eater, most people have zero comprehension as to what goes behind that. Um, but even the plants too, like, you know, you, sometimes you see this argument on Twitter where like if someone's vegan and they're, they're, um, they're advocating for a plant-based diet and someone will inevitably bring up, well, you know, the people who, who get plants, who harvest plants, there's also like critters that die and there's labor and what have you. Those those are those two realities are simultaneously true, and we're so disconnected that we don't recognize the hours of labor that go behind someone else picking uh, corn or what have you in order to get to our plate. And I think that disconnection 
is symbolic of our, our sort of existential disconnection that we have because like, you know, when we're talking at the top of the episode, more and more people just are going through life, especially city life, urban life, very um, disillusioned to the at, the, at, at the society that we've built and the promises that the things within this society are to make us feel whole. And I, and I do think that however one can, and then we'll get into some ideas on how people can, however you can find ways to be more involved, more engaged with the process, ideally from beginning to end, the appreciation level is going to increase. Um, what it does for your own body is going to increase. And I think there will be a deeper sense of satisfaction not found by getting a Beyond Burger at Carl's Jr., which is fine. You know, I'm not, I trust me, I do it way too much, but like we have to take, we have to find those moments to take where we're not leaning into convenience and we're instead really being involved in the process, even if it's something as simple as what we eat. Yeah, exactly. Being involved again, brings back that sense of autonomy. Like you're taking charge of your own self and what you put in your body and also just having self-awareness and awareness about the world that you live in. And there's, there's truth behind, there's like suffering behind everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's no way to be perfect, but it's just about how you yourself can cause less suffering for yourself and others. So you don't have to, you know, go, in a cabin that you built by yourself in the woods, disconnected from anything and grow and catch your own food. Uh, you can, if that's something you want to do, but if you choose to be in society and in the city, you know, you may indirectly cause suffering. And that is just the reality of life. It's just about, you know, how you are you doing your best? You know, right. are you doing what can you do? Like, are you, can you grow your herbs? Can you go to the farmer's market, choose a plant-based meal every now and then if, you know, if that's possible, I think it's possible, of course, but, (laughs) (laughs) and then, you know, and then just trying to put your money where in areas that you really believe in, and companies that you believe in, small businesses, because uh, that is even more powerful than voting is by using your money to show the government and society um, what what you want, like what our society wants. So what you buy, like the clothes you wear, the food, the and literally anything that you spend your money on is a vote. So if right. you're wanting to get back to nature and you're wanting to get back to spirit, like are you contributing to businesses and um, other things in your life that also reflect what you want to value and what you do value? Or is it different? You know, and just being aware of it. No, judge yourself, but just see if you can make a change, even if it's a little change today. You know, it it does make a big difference. It's it can be so overwhelming thinking about this world and all the things that we have contributed to that it mm-hmm. can cause us to shut down, and shutting down is not the answer. Yeah, I, I think I was just having a conversation with my hairstylist about this today. Um, 
we are we we feel overwhelmed by the problems that are presented to us. I think most people, if you ask the average person, they're going to say, "Oh yeah, Jeff Brazos, he's a piece of shit." But they order from Amazon. I order from Amazon with too much abundance, right? Um, we'll say things like, oh, the price of gas is so high, it's so terrible. But then we'll drive our car to the corner store when we could have walked or we could have rode a bike or what have you. So I understand it because it, it, it doesn't feel – and I actually used to have these debates with some friends of mine. I was like, what, what the value – the, and the impact that, say, recycling does, that, say, uh, growing your own food does, that says, like, thrift shopping instead of Amazon shopping for your clothing or H&M or any of those sort of fast food clothing stores. Um, you know, m- as a single individual, a single activity may or may not have the impact that you're hoping it's going to have on a global level. However, that being said, that impact on your personal level can be very profound. And we are a collective species. And so if many of us, and that many increases over time exponentially to be the majority of us, start to live a lifestyle in a certain way, then I think you're right. I think that those global changes will occur. And I don't think you have to worry about them today. I think you just need to make you need to think about choices because I think that if you if you worry about saving the planet, it's never going to happen. It's too overwhelming. But if you're just thinking, what should I eat today? Should I have a salad that's filled with greens and I'm going to leave off dairy and I'm going to leave off uh, what's the sauce they put on it, dressing and, and all that jazz. Like I'm going to, or I'm going to do a healthy one. That's not filled with like, you know, again, dairy usually seems like there's always dairy on salads, which negates all the benefit of a salad. Um, <laughs> you, you can make that choice. That's an easy choice to make. And like you said earlier, you'll feel vibrant and colorful and you'll be a reflection of what you're processing. I think that sometimes people just don't realize that there are so many choices that they can make day in, day out, meal to meal, decision to decision that can have a pretty big impact on the world around you as much and and as much as it is yourself. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's these choices that we make every single day. Um, And, you know, it's not, Again, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being a better version of yourself Mm -hmm. than you were yesterday. And that's all you can think about at the moment because thinking about it globally is, yeah, it's scary and it can be numbing. And of course, it's important. So tiny changes, Mm -hmm. we are past the point of doing tiny changes anymore. We do need to do big changes um, collectively. But not it's not about putting so much pressure on yourself that you become immobile and then you right. become not being able to do anything because you're like, well, now I don't know how to change the world. So it's not about changing the world. It's just about changing your world. You know, it's about changing the things that you have the ability to change. And yeah, and that can be food, clothes, where you do your shopping, um, how much you're driving, can you walk? You know, it's, it's these things also educating yourself, just like, Mm -hmm. if you don't know where to start, just 
educate yourself, like look for documentaries, read some books, do some research on things that are going to help motivate you to be the the person that you want to be for this planet. And of course, part of that is going back to nature, like we were talking about is how can we be more nature-based beings? Because we are, we're solar powered beings living on plants. That's who we are on this planet. And we are now living on plastics. We're now living on gasoline. We're now living on these things that are not sustainable. So reminding ourselves every day that we are beings of nature that we can still be evolving and we can still have technology, but also be beings of nature at the same time. It's not about going backwards. It's just about going back to how we work with nature, but can also move forward at the same time. Absolutely. And, you know, what we do in the microcosm in our own personal life, it does have a direct link and there is direct causation to the macrocosm, to the global world. So changing yourself does change the world. And uh, the more I find for myself that I make efforts to change who I am, the more conscious I am of things that might can help on a bigger scale. Um, You know, I think that many times we don't understand the the attachments that we've had on us for since we were born i mean most of us were born you know in the last 30 to 40 50 years and and we have lived in a society that's that's built around consumerism that's built around um single use items and Again, all of us. So this is not this is not us talking to other people. This is all of us talking collectively about the things that we're involved with on a regular basis, and how can we make those changes? Like I, uh, you know, I've always cared about the environment in the way that most people do, but but done very little to, you know, like I recycle. Cool. That's like, then I'm done. I'm vegan. Okay, <laughs> I'm done. But I, as I'm getting a bit older, and as I'm progressing in my own magical path, I feel compelled to be more concerned, less with politics in a way, and more with the earth, because I feel like that's that's the bigger demand. And uh, it's simple things. Like one thing that I think that people could do that is a little easy thing, costs you like 20 bucks, is buy your own silverware set. Like I I did that. Like I, I Jason Momoa, the actor, was like his big – cause is plastic in the ocean and i saw this little gimmick that he was he bought his own little um silverware set that he just keeps with him and i thought you know that's an easy thing for me to do like and and since i did that and i just carried in my messenger bag and i have it there i i can't stop seeing how much single-use plastic we use because i'm just aware just that little little change that I made by just buying this little thing from Amazon. So again, you know, do the best you can. Um, just just awoke my mind to seeing just how often single use is uh, implemented in our daily lives, and it sucks. It sucks seeing how much of it it is. And so now I keep looking for ways. Like even something is like, okay, well, what am I going to order for a drink? Damn, if I order a water, they're going to give me a plastic bottle right so that sucks well if i order a soda i get less plastic but it's worse for me so and now i'm having this internal debate but i'm at least mindful 
of the decision making that I have in front of me. And it's those kind of little things that I think that sometimes people don't realize they'll have a bigger impact than you think. If you just, if you just make a small effort, it will beget a bigger effort and then beget, get a bigger effort and so on and so forth. And where you find yourself in a year, maybe vastly different from where you thought you were going to be when you just bought this little silverware set. I love that you did that. (laughs) Um, Yes. If I were to recommend anyone to start about like environmental stuff is just like, oh, please try and go plastic free. Like I love, I, and I have a little baggie. I also carry my utensils in and a, and a metal straw. Um, my water bottle is my emotional attached water bottle to my, so I always have that around me. Emotional support water bottle is what I meant to say. Um, so when I go out, if I don't have a sustainable option or they can't give me a glass of something, I'm just like, I'm good with my water. Um, and I dine in as much as I can instead of take, taking food out. And I've noticed mm-hmm. I've been saving a lot of money. So oh, for sure. <laughs> instead of ta- uh, doing takeout or if you go to certain, um, I know there's a next level burger here. I love that place. Um, it's kind of like veggie grill, I guess, but okay, all yeah, yeah. their, all their packaging is compostable. Nice. Like burgers and shakes and stuff. Um, so if I do want to take out, I look at the restaurant and see if they have compostable or at least recyclable um, packaging, but no plastic. I really styrofoam, same thing. Please boycott styrofoam. It's it cannot biodegrade and it just goes into our oceans and it's a pain to clean up. Um, but yeah, carrying your own silverware, plus a, a non-plastic water bottle and uh, yeah your own straw and and if you only have a plastic water bottle fine (laughs) just use that one (laughs) and don't keep buying more right like i I think a lot of us could look at our closet and see a bunch of stuff it's like when i when i first became vegan i had a lot of leather items still and i used them until they fell apart because i already owned them i wasn't you know they're in my house um so i think you know, you don't even have to go on Amazon and buy certain things. Like if you've got a plastic, like this thing here that we got at like a Starbucks, like I don't try to buy these things much often, but you know what? I'll use this. I already have it. I'll use this water bottle instead of, um, you know, getting a, a plastic water bottle from, from the store if I can avoid it. And hopefully I can start to be more mindful about that going forward. Oh, yeah. That is one of the most sustainable things you can do instead of like panicking and like throwing out everything and replacing it with like nice bamboo things. (laughs) (laughs) Use what you have, like use it until it cannot be used anymore. And I know people love to collect tumblers and like new water bottles, but there's a point where you can collect eco-friendly water bottles to the point where it's not eco-friendly anymore. Right. (laughs) Just, yeah, use what you have. Use what you have and um, until you can't use it anymore, even if it doesn't feel eco-friendly, the fact that you're not just throwing it away right away um, is sustainable. Because there is waste in the manufacturing, even of sustainable items. And so where we can reduce consumption in general, that's a good thing. Yeah. The, yeah, it's the refusing and then reducing are the two biggest things before you 
recycle. recycle. Exactly. And you did mention the whole microcosm, macrocosm thing mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to touch on because that relates back to alchemy and hermeticism with the as, abo- as above, so below, as within, so without, um, as you change your internal world and your little world, you also change your external world. So as long as you are actively working on your inner world, then the external world will change. If the external world sounds too overwhelming to try and change, just focus on your your little world that you're in. So because it will make a difference. I I would even go so far, at least for myself, will say that changing the, my my microcosm is infinite. And I think that's true for all people. And um, because there really is not a divide, as the saying would sometimes suggest, like there's that and there's this. It's, it is all one. And so uh, I know a lot of people who do magic, who get into magic or the accord, what have you. And it seems to center around a lot of manifesting. And I'm not against manifesting at all. But for me personally, my biggest breakthroughs, my biggest accomplishments have been internal work, internal alchemy. And, and by the way, when I have been at my most diligent about doing that is when stuff manifests. Like this house that we're rented, it, you know how it is. Finding a house to rent in Los Angeles, much less buy, is impossible. And it was one of, I don't often do magic for manifesting, but this was one of the times I did just a sigil, some sigil magic. And within two weeks, we had this place. I've told this story a bunch of times on here. But like <laughs> there are, you know, when my wife was stuck in Australia during the pandemic, I did magic and within a month she was here and we were married like these things can happen but i truly believe that if i hadn't done months and months of work on myself where i'm just drawing in energy and and i I practice more ceremonial magic but like i'm invoking energy to purify myself to prepare myself to change and evolve myself and when i did that everything else started to follow the even just being conscious about the environment in a more meaningful way starts to come out being more conscientious about um how i treat people my my patience my forgiveness my empathy all these things and if those things are emanating from within and we all kind of made that effort i think that collectively we'd start to build communities that were far more harmonious than the one we're currently living in. And I think there's a lot of different methodologies but that we can do to change our microcosm, to change ourselves, to just work inwards with the expectation of the influence it has outwards. Oh, absolutely. That is the whole <laughs> per- reason behind my services and my business is the shadow work and the inner work. Um because it starts from within always. And yeah, there's this manic manifesting, this like trend of manifesting and and same thing with like law of attraction. It all is about this pushing out, pushing out. But if you are pushing out nothing, like if you haven't done any work inside, you're not going to push out anything to attract you. Um, And also just knowing that it's already here. Because, and it's just unlocking it. And that is working on the self. So whenever you're having a hard time bringing new, really good things into your world, it's always 
because of something that you need to work on within. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. Right. They don't like to hear that. They want to blame capitalism. They want to blame their parents, which there is a level there. Absolutely. They're they're also (laughs) right because as above, so below. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we can't really change that. We can't change who raised us. We can't change. We can change capitalism, but it's not going anywhere at this time. But all you can do to change is yourself. So choosing the that you're not going to participate in certain patterns choosing whether you want to enable a, a an emotion that is not serving you and or choosing to play out you know play out something like a a role or identity that you put yourself in that has kept you stuck and just deciding I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm going to figure out where this story of mine started and work through it. And you can work through it, through it with magic, with ceremonial magic. You can do it through somatic practices, through shaking, through ritual, through um, writing, literally anything that really feeds your soul, anything that really just makes you feel like, like your heart is really nourished, whether that's art or singing, or usually it's something creative. Right. Usually it's something creative. That is the key that's going to help transform that blockage or pattern or whatever it is that you're trying to alchemize so that you can be a more powerful uh, magician, be a more powerful um, witch or whatever it is so that you can attract what you want. So. Yeah, at this we can manifest till the cows come home, but as long as but if you haven't done the inner work, then nothing's going to come to you. Or if it does, it's not going to be long lasting. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and and it's a manifest. It's a reflection of again the single use society that we've built, where because we're not like even a simple act like dining in. Even if you were dining in at a fast food joint, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just assume that. Even that act of going in, interacting with someone face-to-face when you're telling them your order or whether it's a waitress or someone at a counter, sitting down, usually with someone else, but not always, and then having a meal where, again, if you're with someone else, you're conversing or maybe you're lost in thought or what have you, just that act is so much more meaningful and profound and uh, in the moment than eating in the car where you're putting something in your mouth and chewing, but like, hopefully your, your attention is, you know, other cars, right. And driving safely. And, and of course you should do that. But if we could just take that small step, that small step back and make just little changes, then I think it, it grows. Right. And um, I also think that there are other ways that we could do resets for ourselves, especially if we're feeling really trapped uh, or bogged down by the attachments and the tethers that we've had on us since since childbirth, uh, you know, for me it was it was the pandemic, and um, during that time period, I, I my my fiance at the time was over uh, you know overseas, she was abroad, and 
I'm not really working, not on the same level that I, I was before. And I'm kind of in this one little apartment in West Hollywood with just my dog and taking walks and making banana bread and what have you. And I use that time. Uh, first, I did um, hyp- hypnotherapy. I did a few sessions with a hypnotherapist to just sort of un... Not, they, they, I wouldn't even feel like there were things that were like completely out of left field for me, but it was just drawing attention to things that I knew were there that I had just sort of shoved deep, deep, deep down and weren't really addressing. And then I came across, I'd come across Damien Echols' book on magic months back, but like a lot of things, things I buy a book and it sits on the shelf until I get to it eventually, like that shelf back there. And, um, but I really started diving into that. And for whatever reason, I had tried different things in the quote unquote occult spheres, but nothing had really stuck or connected to me. And this one did for, for whatever the reason that it did. Right. Cause it was in the same way that when you're foraging, you see a flower, it's kind of calls to you. And this, this book kind of called to me. Um, the other thing that I started doing uh, aside from ceremonial magic and hypnotherapy was I started becoming a regular cannabis user and um, I never did before because I'm kind of a control freak. And I mean, I'm a producer. So this is what I do for a living. It's like control situations. And I didn't ever want to feel like I was out of control. Like even when I drank, I never wanted to overdrink. Um, and I, and I, and like, I don't know that I'm really that much better, but you know, when I'm high, I kind of sound like Keanu Reeves from like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I, I was always very self-conscious of it, but you know, it was legal in Los Angeles, uh, as is. And I was sitting at home with not much to do. And, you know, I, I don't do magic with cannabis on a regular basis. I do alternate because I do think that's very important, but it also really is awesome to do with uh, on cannabis. Um, it can really remove some blocks that are maybe there, some self-consciousness. It, it definitely helps with my visual, uh, visualization in a big way and my attention span, mostly my attention span. I don't when, when you're dealing with plant medicine and you're dealing with different kinds of organic material that we can ingest and we can take to reset ourselves, recenter ourselves, find new things about ourselves, nourish ourselves. Does any of that kind of stuff like that or psilocybin, does that any of that play a role in it? And like, what's your experience with that? Oh, my experience with plant medicine and like meditation, spirituality, ritual is incredible because, and I started experimenting with cannabis as well in, I think last, it was maybe this year or last year, very recently, mm-hmm. um, by eating eating it hmm. like uh, I edibles. smoking, yeah, edibles. Smoking, my lungs are so sensitive. I, I have a hard time smoking things, but um, I take like microdose with it. So I'll take. Mm-hmm either two to five grams. Sometimes five grams can be a lot for me depending on how much I ate that day. But um, even if I take like 2.5 grams of an edible and I start meditating, I can easily just go there. I, mm-hmm. like my, I don't have to go through the whole sifting through the thoughts process. I don't have to go through the like oh, calming the mind. I'm just there. And I, before that, I had thought that it would interfere 
sequence meditation. Mm -hmm. But then when I tried it, it actually helped. It was amazing. And I'm like you, I am a controller. (laughs) (laughs) And I do have a hard time with relaxing. I have all my tools, but I just want to go, go, go all the time and always have something, some project or a meeting or something that I'm doing. So when I don't have anything to do, I'm like, "Uh Oh, what do I need to do? If I take an edible, I, it forces my mind to not be running a mile a minute anymore. And it's, and it's so relieving and I also started microdosing psilocybin this year for my studies because Mm -hmm. I'm at my master's. I started in January and I was like, I need something to help me to get into the flow state. And I had started mushroom foraging in 2020 and learning about medicinal mushrooms, wild foraged edible mushrooms. And that got me into researching psilocybin mushrooms. And I This past year, I did a whole literature review for my school on the power of psilocybin mushrooms and the mind and emotional, uh, spiritual ailments. And when I microdose with psilocybin, I I feel more me. Mm -hmm. And it's great because it's very different than cannabis. Mm -hmm. Cannabis, it forces me to relax psilocybin forces me to be my authentic self Mm. and and i don't even have to take i don't take enough um to be psychoactive as a regular dose um but i take enough where it just elevates my mood where i'm excited to do things i'm excited to do my projects and and my papers and i'm excited to run my errands they seem so fun all of a sudden but i can have a conversation i can drive i'm like i'm i'm completely grounded but elevated at the same time and Mm -hmm. while doing my research on psilocybin for my paper i learned how powerful it is to help with treatment resistant depression, major depressive disorder, OCD, addiction that no other drug has been able to do before because and both microdose and in a macrodose, a higher dose, a psychoactive dose, um, both are beneficial. And what's great about the psychoactive, the the larger doses, that's just it can be life-changing. The results can last a lifetime after just one dose um, for anything. And with the microdose is good for if you just, if you need to be in a flow state for longer periods of of time, but if you're needing to, and of course I'm saying this because these um, research articles came from like John Hopkins university. So they were in a very controlled setting and none of these, these patients have been, not on any other kind of psychotropic or um, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to do like a large psychoactive psilocybin dose, please consult your doctor. Make sure you're not on any like medications because um, it can just, it, depending on where you're at mentally, it can, um, you know, mess with that. But But what's amazing is that these plant medicines – historically are have caused so much less harm 
than these prescription drugs that have tried to do the same thing that don't even work or they do, but they don't work for everybody. Right. Well, we, we can easily talk about sort of the opiate uh, epidemic that's that's occurred all across the U.S. And the, the, the types of drugs that are more likely to kill people are more often than not synthesized drugs. Um, so again, obviously consult a professional before taking anything. These are just our personal experiences. But I, I have microdosed with psilocybin twice, and I'm really anxious to do it again. And um, the first time I took it, I, I felt a sense of elation. I everything was just more vibrant. I was expecting like a crazy trip and, and that didn't really happen for me, but everything just seemed brighter, sparklier, um warmer. I felt very connected to myself. Like I just kind of bundled up and was just so content and blissful, you know. And with cannabis, um, you know, obviously more focused. What a what a profound statement to think that sometimes we need to not be go, go, go all the time. And instead of just rest, 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 that's okay too. And things like the kind of music that appeals to me or my appreciation for certain kind of music has grown exponentially since I became a rare cannabis user. And you start to understand why a certain kind of music is attached to that. You know, like all the music that came out of the 60s and 70s, and you can kind of understand why because – the sonic energy that's being projected is more layered than our usual top 40 fare. And when you're um, using one of these pet medicines to sort of elevate your mind, you pick up on those things, those subtleties that weren't there. Um, I, I think that everything has subtle energy that we oftentimes don't perceive. And uh, I'm not suggesting that you need a, a you know, cannabis or or magical mushrooms or anything like that to achieve these things. These things can be achieved through meditation alone. They can be achieved through magic alone. But they do they are they do help sort of jumpstart things and they can be an aid and there's certainly health like when I had kidney stones a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, um, they gave me I think they gave me ox not they gave me oxycontin. I don't know, they gave me some drug. I didn't want to take it because the moment I hear that a drug could be potentially habit forming, I'm like, I don't want to take it. Um but the thing it, it, when there was an immense pain, you you just do what you gotta do. But like honestly, cannabis helped with the pain more than anything else. Than any other thing that I and I'm not like a day smoker generally. I usually kind of save it for the nighttime treat. But like when I was in immense pain, even with my neck, like that helped. And so um Again, this is this is one of those things where I feel like as a society, we need to get to a point where our the people who we seek out for medical care are not closed off to some of these ideas and some of these um, alternative solutions that potentially are healthier for us and are certainly part of the ecosystem that we, we live in and therefore contain some measure of ourselves within them. Yeah. Um, as... We don't, yeah, just like what you said, we don't need these plants to spiritually evolve, absolutely, but they, I believe they are definitely gifted to us mm -hmm. um, to use in this way. And on my own journey, mushrooms have helped me see things that I wasn't able to see if I didn't take them. Um, and I was able to 
com- like really tap into my own intuitive abilities off of mushrooms. I, I felt more powerful mm-hmm. afterwards. And that's why they're not habit forming. They're just tools for us to use when we just need a little help. Like we just need a little bit of a push that into the right direction. And that's why I'm so excited that Oregon has decriminalized and is legalizing the use of psilocybin mushrooms in, in psychedelics in therapy mm. cases. So I am waiting to hear back from a couple different uh, organizations that are training psilocybin sitting therapy facilitators. And uh, that should be happening very soon in the next few months. And I am excited to start incorporating that into my services, hopefully next year, because what I do as a Reiki practitioner in doing shamanic Reiki is I am guiding my clients through the shamanic realms to help access these parts of themselves to facilitate whatever healing they need to occur, whatever messages they need to receive. And if I can also incorporate psilocybin therapy in addition to that, I can just imagine the type of change and transformation my clients will experience because I've, I've personally experienced it and it's indescribable. And these these people who I've researched through John Hopkins University and other universities who have these mystical experiences are no longer afraid of death, have completely healed their depression and completely healed their addiction and OCD because they have a connection to the web of life now and they feel their connection to the web of life and everything. So it's almost like nothing matters because everything matters. Right. So everything you do, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing what matters to you. And it's so freeing. And I think that's why it frees you from these like worldly diseases, these Western diseases, really mm-hmm. um, mental, um, these just mental chains that we've been living in because of how society has stifled us from nature and the universe and psilocybin and other psychedelics. But for me personally, I'm more close with the psilocybin mushroom and the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Um, really just break those chains away so quickly and it's you can't you don't get them back it's amazing well it's what it's like it's like what the the pandemic provided for us it gave us you know again i don't want to trivialize you know people who who died and 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 all that but um for many of us it gave us that break that we needed to find a different part of ourselves, hopefully in the best of cases. And I do think that some of these plant treatments and the, and the services that you offer, which we'll get into your website, house of Artemis, um, they can allow people to travel back into a point before the hooks got in. And, um, there's two, there's two things that I, that, that, that come to mind. Um, my dad Gave me this book years ago, and again, like I said, sits on a shelf until I'm ready. To, until it's time for me to read it, I guess. Um, called the Four Agreements, 
Oh, yes, and, I read them. You know, my dad's a science guy. He's Catholic-ish. Um, but, you know, like, I, I wouldn't have expected him to give me a book that's magic. It, it's not so much called that. It's not presented quite in the same way that most books within the cult world are, but it it very much is. And it just, you know, as you, if you've read it, like detailed mm-hmm. these things that we've accepted that we don't even know why we accepted. And many of them we didn't even accept. They were accepted on our behalf. And and we strip those things away from ourselves. Do we remove them to see what even fits? One of the um, rituals I do on a regular basis that uh, Lori Davis recommended to me was um, – I invoke archangels in my practice, and every morning I invoke the archangel Michael, and I invoke him to use his sword on fire to remove any ties, tethers, and binds that are attached to me. And I try to do it at night as well. I try to do it both times because, um, you know, psychic vampires, energy, you, you just accumulate grime, just like anything else in the world. Like you accumulate your experiences. They're in your aura. They're on your body. They're on your mind. They're on your heart. And we go to bed with them and we dream about them usually. And then we wake up with them and there are our morning anxieties. And if you strip those away from yourself and you kind of start fresh, just like if you took a shower and you're now cleansed of whatever mud and dirt and grime you accumulated throughout the day, it's such a nicer way to start. It's such a refreshing way to look at the world. The other thing that you said that made me think of something is when we talk about sort of the things that lead us to depression, anxiety, etc. In modern medicine, it's often just looked at as, well, it's a chemical imbalance or it's this, that, the other. But we don't look at the material, um, the material effects around us. So there was a scientist or let's see, what was he? Was he a doctor? Yeah. So I think it's Dr. Bruce Alexander. He was looking at the relation of depression in people to chemicals. And, um, and specifically he got down to the point of looking at drug addiction and uh, they did a study. There was a study done where, and we've heard about it before, like rats were put in a cage and they were given um, cocaine water. And uh, I think they were given cocaine water and regular water. And in almost every instance, the rats in this little tiny cage would drink the cocaine water and die. Overdose. So it sort of led people to believe that once people have this chemical hook in them, this addictive hook in them, then they, they're just compelled to meet their end. So another group of scientists said, well, okay, but the conditions, the material conditions that this rat is living in is anxiety inducing. It's uh, forced solitude. It's more akin to the way we torture people than the way we treat people. And so they built something called rat park and rat park was a large structure with many rats uh, and, you know, whatever rat games that get rats are into Ferris wheels, what have you. And it had the water and the cocaine water and no rat overdosed in Rat Park. Mm. They might occasionally party with the cocaine water, <laughs> which is fine. I'm not judging. But for the most part, they were they, they were living a far more satisfactory life within a, a different kind of society, for lack of a better term, than the singer, singular isolated solitary rat in a small little cage with no other option but to than escapism. I think that if we look at our culture around us, 
we're in we're in the rat cage and we're really only being offered escapism through our movies, through our music, through our social lives. And again, nothing wrong with that on the occasion, but when it's your only outlet to escape the rigors and hardships and the anxieties of this life that we've built, it generally has detrimental impact. I think that through some of these uh, plant medicines, some of these alternative services, some of these different perspectives, a reconnection to the earth, a more in the moment lifestyle, a more a more active awareness, we can begin to create a world that is more akin to Rat Park, where we're satisfied and we're happy and we are sustainable because we've structured a life that serves us in a healthy and humanistic manner. And your website is kind of part of that path for people, or at least, uh, you know, offers assistance in that, that journey that we're all making through life. Yeah, I, I see that. That's a really interesting study. I haven't read that one before. But it does, it definitely goes back to what we were talking about when people, when we were trapped at home and we, all we had was to lean on the society that we have, like mental health and death outside of COVID um, increased as well. Mm-hmm. And it's because we are seeking that freedom and, and yeah. And the escapism we're trying, we're literally wanting to escape the conditions that we have been put in. And these plant medicines can help us see that and then get out. Um, or it could be the other way around where you, during when we were forced to not go out, we realized how much we wanted to get out mm-hmm. and how much we realized we wanted to be closer to nature and holistic practices. And so we get out and then we start experimenting with different plant medicines. And and that's why, yeah, that's why my services are tailored to nature-based practices because that's what helped me and that's what helped with my depression and is still helping with my anxiety and I feel more connected and with being here on this planet. I remember growing up in a very religious household and not knowing why I was on this planet. Like I I was like, why was I born? Mm -hmm. And it was like, I felt so dead. And it was only until I left home, started finding the, these other holistic natural therapies and realizing how much power there is around us. And that magic is real and scientific at the same time. Right. People always think that. They think magic, yeah. oh, it's a woo-woo thing. It's like, no. look, you don't have to take anyone's word for it. Just try it. Try it and then tell us how you feel. It's real. Like, I mean, people are studying quantum physics now and quantum physics is the study of magic if I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's just everything has really opened up ever since I started working with nature cycles and plants. Just So I want to teach this to others and help guide others to finding themselves again through these nature-based practices. 
That's amazing. So tell us about your website. Tell us about the service that people can find there. Um, and if like, I'm going to recommend this to my sister because she was just asking me about magic and, and, you know, she, she wants to be connected to nature. You know, I, I kind of told her about ceremonial magic and I think where she's looking for more specifically is something more nature based. And, and over the course of this conversation, the only thing I could think of is I got to show Ash this because she'll appreciate it. So for someone who's brand new, and and come into your website uh, for the first time. What what can they expect, and what do you recommend to, to get started? Like, what is all on the buffet, so to speak, in terms of pathways that people can shed the old lifestyle and maybe seek something different? Yes, yes. Okay, so where was I? Oh, yes, the shamanic reiki. So the shamanic reiki is more holistic than the sh- a typical reiki session because we get to the root causes or what we perceive to be the root causes at the time and set an intention. And then I use different tools like flower essences, uh, aromatherapy, crystals, tuning forks, etc. during the Reiki process, the, the hands-on part. And then once I guide you into kind of this like really relaxed state from the Reiki, um, then we do the shamanic work, which is the journeying. And I we work with a plant guide, an animal, or an, a go- like a deity, and then go to a place, usually in nature, um, in the mind, and then... It, there's always like a reason behind it, either for grief or for the meeting the child self or for um, opening the heart, whatever it may be, there's a goal here. And then through drumming and my singing bowls, we I use these tools to kind of get you into this shamanic state to go on your own journey, sort of, so to speak, and then bring you back. And then that's where like the alchemy happens usually is in the the journeying. And then we come back, we talk about it, we pull some cards, you know, have some tea. And then I always give some like homework to continue uh, the process depending on what I pick up during the session. And of course, earthing, like I mentioned, can be one of them, doing certain practices. Um, and so, sometimes food, I also incorporate foods because different foods also help with different chakra centers and energy centers of the body. Um, so that's the shamanic Reiki that's been my most popular lately. I also do offer one-on-one holistic flower essence therapy. So with the flower essence that I mentioned before, I create a custom formula for you to help with this is specifically for people going through really emotional things and need emotional guidance and like a little bit of hand holding and flower essences are so incredible for that. And so for the empaths, flower essences are amazing because they work on the energetic body, they're homeopathic. So people who are really in tune with their bodies really feel the shifts quickly with flower essences. Um, I offer tarot readings like the tarot readings are more like therapy sessions. I would like to, they're like shadow work tarot readings. I just unintentionally, subconsciously, intentionally um, make my tarot readings tend to go a little bit deeper um, and more, more reflective. It's less about fortune telling and more about un- unleashing and um, 
unlocking different parts of yourself that need to be addressed at this time. And in addition to those services, I do have offerings. So my favorite offering right now is the Plant Spirit Alchemy membership. And it's a nine-month membership. It's closing on Samhain this year and reopening again um, next year, early next year. And every month we meet on the full moon and I send you a box of a flower essence, a plant, a plant spirit, um, that we work with a spell bottle that you can put your own little scroll and intention into, and then an anointing oil to work with when you're doing meditation and ritual. And then we meet every month to do this shamanic ritual and journey together with the plant spirit. And it's this amazing container where we go through the Lodge of Flowers in the springtime and the Lodge of Light during the summer. And right now we're in the Lodge of Shadows, which is my favorite lodge. It's the hardest lodge, (laughs) but it is the reason why we've been building up since spring is to have the foundation to be ready to do the shadow work. And it's so great because you're not doing it alone. You have a collective um, and a forum that you can speak with and you get one-on-one support from me. And I just, I love like hearing everyone's experiences and giving my insight and hearing and seeing the transformations happening. So that's my, yeah, so that's my, my like regular membership offering that I have. Um, I do teach Reiki certification. I love doing that. And I'm taking on students now for November. Um, And then, yeah, I'm working on a shadow alchemy course. I do take one-on-one shadow alchemy clients if people need like an actual shadow work guide to help them through the alchemical process of shadow work. Um, Yeah, I'm always offering different things, but everything I offer, it has to do with shadow work and alchemy and plant spirits and nature. It's amazing. And it's, it's so, it's such important work that you're, it's very hard to find focus on that in the sort of normative world. And I think that services like you're offering are going to only grow because people realize that there is more than what's being offered. And and it, it requires going deeper and maybe sometimes into scarier, difficult places. But what you get on the other end of that is uh, a freedom. I, I always equate shadow work. You've seen Shawshank Redemption? Yes. Yeah. So shadow work to me is like Andy Dufresne crawling through 200 yards of shit <laughs> to get to freedom on the other side. But when you get on that other side and and you feel the rain falling upon you and you feel it wash away all that filth and grime and, and mud and other stuff, like it's like rebirth. Yeah. And, and that should always be our goal to do it regularly, not just like one and done, like just to constantly check in. And you said something that I say all the time. It was so refreshing to hear someone else say it almost verbatim. All we could do is be a little bit better tomorrow than we were today. And I think that if we are bold enough to embark on that journey, the rewards, you know, the kingdom of heaven to steal a phrase are, are available for us to, to achieve um, because, because heaven's inside of us and, and um, we can get back to that. I think we've just forgotten it. A mentor of mine once says, 
that when you read in the Bible about like falling angels, we imagine like demons, you know, or maybe sometimes you imagine us, like we fell and then done. We're constantly falling. Yeah. The further away from divinity we get, we're falling. And it's our job to, to be salmon and go against that current and try to achieve and reconnect with that source that we're all part of, um, no matter in whatever way one I- imagines it or, or um, understands it. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm For those who are interested in the core, the nine-month course, First off, I guess what reiterate what your website is so people can visit it. And when would they when would the the time period to sign up for be? So my website is thehouseofartemis.com and my Instagram is the House of Artemis. The the is important because there is a <laughs> house of Artemis, but they are a small textile company. <laughs> Which if you're into small textiles, I'm sure they can appreciate the business, but sure. <laughs> so, um, the house of Artemis, uh, com, And there is a link on there for plant spirit alchemy and you can read about it. Um, I usually, let's see, I will be speaking more about how to sign up in January and I will be offering a free, uh, shamanic journey, like a pre plant spirit alchemy experience for everyone to come so they can see what it's about. Cause not everyone understands what a shamanic journey is or what plant spirits are, um, or what this membership is going to look like. So I do offer a free one. So everyone can join at the beginning of the year and then they can sign up afterwards and I will offer a link for that. But yeah, if you follow me and you want to join, like you can also just message me to make sure that you want to be on the list. Um, and then, of course, you could reach out if you want to do the uh, Reiki training, because in my Reiki training, I also incorporate shadow work and um, how to work with crystals, the pendulum. It's, it's a little bit more, has other things in it other than just Reiki training. Well, it's it's really amazing. I um, I'm interested to learn more about it myself, and I hope other people who are listening do also. Like I said, I'm going to mention this to my sister because I think she'll be all over this. So, Natalie, thank you so much for your time. I apologize for the little electrical thing we had, um, but thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. I really appreciate it. I think that, I, and I hope, and I do believe that people are going to really resonate with um, your experiences and and how you see a pathway to escape some of the unpleasantries of this existence and, and get back to a, a more sustainable, substantial period in our lives that we can recreate at any time we want. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Dave, for having me. This was really fun. Awesome. We'll do it again soon. Yes. I would like to thank Natalie once again for being such a wonderful guest on the show today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I love her perspective and sort of this getting back to nature uh, aesthetic and desire and feeling. And I think that there's a lot of ways, even for those of us that are sort of cement locked, landlocked within a larger urban area for various reasons, I think that there are ways that we can find to reconnect with nature, to reconnect with our surroundings, to have more of a symbiotic relationship with our environments rather than a consumering one. 
um, or a consumption run rather, I think that it's really important to look at ways that we can heal ourselves with the very things that are all around us. Um, maybe some of that might involve plant medicine. We talked a little bit about cannabis. We talked about psilocybin. We talked about the benefits of those things. And some of it might be in your diet. We talked about veganism. We talked about the choices one makes of what one puts in one's body and not just from a food or liquid perspective, but also from a, a stimulus perspective. The kinds of things one watches, listens to, consumes, surrounds themselves with, these are all super important. And you have to consider that perhaps some of the things that are standard in our modern society are actually maybe not the healthiest things for us, at least at the levels that we consume them and for the longevity in which we consume them. So I hope that this podcast has inspired you to ask questions about the things you do in your daily life. I hope that it has inspired you to perhaps take a break from the concrete and the technology and get back to Mother Earth and to nature. I hope it inspires you to be more conscientious about our role in it in terms of how much of the of this these assets and these resources that we consume in a wasteful manner and are there ways for us to maybe live a more substantial and sustainable life. It's not just about the environment and keeping it safe for our own selfish benefit, but it's also about enriching our own souls. And again, like I said earlier, forming more of a symbiotic symbiotic relationship with nature so that we're not just taking, but we're actually giving back and nurturing ourselves on a deeper level through these actions, through this more fair exchange. I love talking about this stuff. I think I know cottage core is kind of a, a popular aesthetic right now, but I do think that there's a reason why in times of high technology, of high industrialization, of regimented utilitarian societies, industrial societies, or in our case, technological societies, there will always be this sort of need to return to nature because at our core, while we our technology may be able to advance at a very fast pace, as humans, I don't think that we're able to quite so often. And so we must take stock of the things that we are that are essential for us as human beings, as animals in this larger animal kingdom, so that we can be fulfilled and so that we can find uh, sustenance in the things that are all around us and that are largely free and that are far more giving than the more single serving uh, entertainment that we tend to consume. I hope this gives you food for thought. Thank you all so very much for listening. Until next time, I am Dave Esquiro. Gold rings on you all.